Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. you have your Bibles, you can go to John 17. If you're in your notes, you can go to the uh, session two. It's labeled the evangelism detonator. I want to talk about intercession today as it relates to evangelism, praying for the lost, interceding for the lost. How many of you have heard the term intercession before? Heard, heard of praying for others before? Well, we're going to take a look at this. Evangelism without intercession is like an explosive without a detonator. May I say that again? Evangelism without intercession is like a, is like a bomb. It's like an, uh, an explosive without a detonator. And then having evangelism without intercession is having a, an explosive without the detonator. Did I say that right? Having explosive, I think I said that. I think I said it correctly. Evangelism without intercession is like having a, have an explosive without a detonator. Intercession, there we go. I got it backwards. Intercession without Evangelism is a detonator without an explosive. There we go. I got it all. Got it all discombobulated. You knew what I said. Lunch. I need coffee. <laughs> but in John 17, we're going to take a look at today intercession. Jesus's prayer. I want to teach about intercession, but more than just teach, I pray that today that your heart will be set ablaze for evangelism and interceding for the lost. And uh, did anybody get my cue there? Okay. <laughs> I pray that your your heart will be set ablaze for evangelism today and praying for the lost. Are you all out there? So just because we're teaching and this is a conference doesn't mean that you just go hide out in a hole and don't respond and turn your brain off. We're all going to engage today, right? We're all engaging. You know, sometimes I know after lunch, everybody wants to disengage and go to sleep. Not today. If you start sleeping, I'm going to come stand by you and I'm going to I'm going to embarrass you, so don't go to sleep on me. <laughs> we need to find out what God is doing, what he's engaged with, and throw in our lot with him. Throw in. Throw in with God. What is God saying? What is God doing? What is God's specialty for our city? What is God saying for the lost? What is God saying for our community? Find out what it is and invest your time. Invest your resources. Invest everything into what God is doing. And I'll guarantee you this. Do you want a plan that doesn't fail? I feel like an infomercial this morning. You want a plan that's not going to fail? You want a, a purpose in life that's not going to fail? Do you want a mission? You want God to do something supernatural in your life that's not going to fail? How many of you want the, the over and above and the breakthrough and the success? Of course, we all do. We don't want to go set our hand to the plow and be miserable failures. We don't want to go and do things that are going to uh, lead us to a path of misery and regretting. What are we doing? in this church. Oh my goodness. Here's the plan. Here's the mission to success. Are you ready? God's plan, his specialty is and always has been winning the lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
And that's Luke 19.10. And Mark 2.7 it says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So join with what God is doing. Join with what God is saying. And you, as you join in the, in the, the firm, if you will, of what God is doing in His business, if you begin to join in the business of God, all of a sudden what happens? You can begin to make requisitions of God that His storehouses can fill. All of a sudden you can come before God and say, Lord, I believe. Lord, I know that you've called me. I know that you've called our church to reach the lost. Lord, you've placed within my hands, within my reach, lost people that are hurting, that are broken. And so, Lord, I know that if I partner with you, come into agreement with you and begin to allow you to use me to reach the lost, I can ask whatever I will. And I know that it's going to be done. I know that as we engage and reach out and, and go after our city, that there is absolutely nothing Everybody say nothing. There's absolutely nothing that God won't provide. Well, I'm glad I believe that. If you don't believe that, we might as well just shut the, this whole thing down. There's no point in doing this conference. We can all go home. Let me say that again. There is absolutely nothing that God will not provide when we engage with him in soul winning. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because sometimes, I, and, and this is what we're talking about this today as it relates to intercession. We think that God will provide some of the time. Well, if I go out and I, and I go door to door and begin to minister to the community around me, you know, the people, they just don't answer the door and, and nothing's going to happen. Nothing's really, you know, we do this all the time. Nothing really happens. And we don't think God's doing anything. Then all of a sudden, though, you, you find the seed was sown. You find that someone else comes along and they begin to water the seed that was sown. And then the next thing you know, you start seeing that person show up in church or they, they cross your path somewhere. You know, we have someone like that in our life. We have several someones like that in our life. Actually, today, while y'all were out on the street, you know, I'm stalking everybody. I'm driving around stalking everybody, taking pictures of what everybody's doing and making sure everybody's okay. And I'm sitting out doing my thing. And I, uh, here, lo and behold, here comes one of these people God's crossed my path with again. And, and, and it happened not, not that long ago. I saw them. I was, at, uh, I was at a hospital visit this week. I'm at the emergency room. And lo and behold, I come out of the back of the emergency room. I walk out into the waiting area. And here they are again in front of me again at the emergency room. And then I've, I've run into him other places. And they've been in our church twice. They came. Let me tell you this story. His name's Drew. Drew came to our church a few months back to Night of Hope. He brought his little girl. He brought his mom and his, his grandmother. And they all came. Good job, Thelma. They all came. And they, they enjoyed the service. I met him that night, met Drew that night. And as soon as I saw him, the Lord just put, put a burden on my heart for him. You know, sometimes God will do that. I'm just telling you my story, my intercession story. Sometimes you, you'll meet someone and God will immediately drop a burden in your heart for that person. You don't know why. You really didn't ask for it. But it was God supernaturally crossing your path. It was a divine moment. It was an opportunity with God, with that person, for a divine purpose. That's, that's Drew for me. He put, put him in my path, dropped him in my heart. And I thought, Lord, I didn't think anything of it. I just prayed, for it, prayed with him, thought of him in that moment. 
Then a couple months later, he shows up at Night of Hope again, and I intersect paths with him again, start talking to him again. I talked to him about three or four times that night at Night of Hope. Every time I turned around, he was under my feet. I thought, Lord, here's this guy again. Here's Drew again. I'm going to talk to him again. See him again. Okay, here we go. Hi, Drew. Good to see you again, buddy. How are you doing? You having a good time? I mean, it was just always, every time I turned around, pray for him. And that, so that was on Wednesday. Sunday morning after Night of Hope, I woke up and I said, Lord, I don't, you know, Drew's on my mind again. Lord, I don't know why you keep dropping Drew in my spirit here, but would you just touch him? You know, remove every excuse. Let him just come to church today. I don't know what it is. Just let him come to church. And lo and behold, who's in church that morning? I'm standing over here worshiping, and I look over, and there's Drew, his grandmother, and his mother, and his little girl's back in child care. So I go right on over to Drew. Hey, buddy, it's good to see you. Glad you made church this morning. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We go through service. Guess who shows up at the altar call for salvation? Drew, his mom, his grandma. (laughs) So, okay, okay, Lord, I get this. You're doing something here in their life. Now, is Drew living like he's saved today? Probably not. But does that mean that God's not doing something in his life. It's not my job to figure out what God's doing. My job is to be faithful with what God's given me. I'm not the Savior, and I definitely can't clean anybody up. Because you all know, if I were God, I would do things a lot different. (laughs) And you would too. So, I go to the emergency room this week, this past week. Sue fell, hit her head, go to the emergency room with her, make sure she's okay. Been spent an hour or two with Sue in the ER, come out of the back of the ER at the hospital, and here is, I'm walking out to talk to Al's mom, and I'm walking this way, and I'm looking at this these people over here, this lady, and I'm like, I know that lady, and she's looking at me like she knows me, and I'm like, well, that's normal, but I know that lady, <laughs> but I don't know, how do I know that lady, and then I look, and there's Drew standing in the by the Coke machine. Lord, here we go again. So, hey, how are you guys doing? (laughs) Yeah, I'll live my life again. So, again, talk to them again. And then today, I'm driving around the neighborhood. I'm just driving around the neighborhood. I'm not doing anything. I knew they lived, I didn't know what street they lived on. I knew they were close by. But that's all I knew. And then, of course, I'm driving, talking to Rick. Rick Rick is telling me about his team and what all they're doing. And I look over, and they had pulled... Their car was right next to my car, and they were all getting out of the car on the street. And I said, hey, Rick, guess who it is? (laughs) Why don't you go talk to them? (laughs) So they just, they keep showing up. And, you know, God does those things for a reason. He places people in a heart to pray for, to intercede on their behalf. Find out what God's doing and engage with it. He's always about soul winning. God's plans do not ever need life support. They don't ever need resuscitation. If God is at work, he is the beginner, he is the author, he is the finisher, he is the sustainer. And there is one thing that the heart of God beats for more than anything, and it is for souls. And, you know, we get so caught, so lost, and it's easy to do in church it's easy to do when we when we go through transition it's easy to do when we when we have new people come in and old people go out and all the transition that happens it's easy it's easy to do when new ministries get started and new leaderships happens all these things happen what's easy to what what's easy in those moments and it happens all the time is we lose sight of the main thing the main thing is that Jesus came to seek and to save 
that which was lost. Acts 1.8 is all about you're going to receive power, but there's a purpose behind the power. You've heard me say it before, that power disconnected from its purpose is like a, it's like a power line out in front of our street that, that doesn't connect. It's hanging, dangling loose with power running through it, flopping around in the air. Nobody wants to touch that thing. Nobody wants to get close to that thing. One of our friends is a fireman in New Orleans, and he posted a a video the other day online of these firemen that are all standing around this this telephone or this power line had fallen over the telephone pole had fallen down the and the line had fallen onto this kid's playground set and a and a metal fence and it was all these firemen standing around waiting for the fire or for the electric company to come turn off the power of course nobody wants to get around and so all these firemen are standing along this chain link fence probably from me to Darius and they're all watching the 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 kids' playground equipment catch fire as it's sparking with the power and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden you see this big flash of electricity and, and power. And, and then you look down in this video and you see the ground smoking right by the firemen's feet because they're all standing by this chain link fence that's now very electrified. And uh, you can see the grass smoking all around them where they're standing because of the, the electric. And that's, that's what a lot of Christians are. We want the power, but they never connect power with purpose. God gives you power to be witnesses. He gives you power to be effective in your prayer life. He gives you power. Everything that God does is connected to souls. And so sometimes we lose focus of that. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Our services, what we do in church is about evangelism. Now you say, Pastor, it's about evangelism, but we're, you know, we're a Pentecostal church. And uh, you know, not everybody likes the tongue talking and all those things. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The Bible is very clear about this. That tongues are a sign to the unbeliever. It is not to be shunned or put in the back room, but it is a sign. It is the power of God in a person. And so we are not ashamed of that. We talked about that uh, last Sunday morning. We have to be ready to walk people through it and talk about it. We had a guest here on Sunday morning. It was so awesome. I'm like, perfect Sunday for you to come to. And he's talking to me after service. And he said, man... He said, you know, he's new to the area. He goes to Akron U, and and, uh, we were talking. And he said, you know, I'm Baptist. He said, I'm Baptist. He said, so I went, he said, I went a couple weeks ago to uh, the chapel, and and not to say anything negative about the chapel. He said, I just didn't really care for it. He said, but man, I came here this morning. He said, I love the atmosphere here. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I do too. (laughs) Love the atmosphere here. It's alive. And uh, he said, but I don't know about this whole tongues thing. He said, you know, I'm Baptist. I said, that's okay. You just keep coming. It's okay. You don't have to get it. You don't have to understand. It was awesome because he was just able to say, I don't get it, but I'm Baptist. But I like the atmosphere. You know, and sometimes people, we say, how many times you've heard this say that people may not understand the falling, the laughter, the joy, the crying, the repenting. They're not going to get all of the things that happen as a result of the power, but they're going to sense the power. You may not understand why the, why the fence is causing the grass to smoke, but they know there's power going through that fence. They don't know what's happening there and why it's smoking and what caused it all to happen, but there's power there. I ain't going to touch that thing or else I'm going to get electrified. And that's what happened. If you go through the New Testament and look at the New Testament church, 
They were signs, wonders. The place where they were meeting had an earthquake. Can you imagine us having a prayer meeting and this building start shaking? I mean, hello. I mean, these we're talking about signs and one people they have church meetings where people fall down and die. You lied to God. They died. Wife comes in, and the same men that carried out your husband's body about ready to carry out your body, too. Now, you tell me, do you think people are going to be lining up the door to come to your church? Seeker-sensitive message all the way. Come to church where people drop down dead. <laughs> you know, Yeah. I mean, of course these things happen. And what was the response of the people? And great Fear came upon them all. There, we've, we, have, we have neutered the fear of the Lord. We are so ashamed of the power of God on display that we have removed the very essence of what God is trying to do from in our midst. He is to be feared. The beginning of wisdom is what? People can't walk in wisdom for their life if we kick the fear of the Lord out the back door because we don't want to offend anybody. The scripture is offensive. Now, all that being said, do you have to add to the offensiveness of it yourself? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's good enough without you. Yeah. He, the fear of the Lord, he, you don't need to add the fear of Tamara into the mix, okay? You don't <laughs> <laughs> she got that red hair and smoke that comes out of her ears. You don't need to add. You don't need to add to that. You don't need to add to the Lord's fear on your own doing. God's got it covered. What do I mean by that? We can have the power of God, the presence of God. We can be people of, of evangelism, of outreach, of loving the lost. We can be ambassadors of Christ and not have to be weird. Now, you might be weird, <laughs> and we can help walk you through that. We, but the Bible calls us peculiar people. We are, we are out of place in this world. We're pilgrims in this world. But, but we don't have to be weird. We don't have to present. And what I mean by that is this. When someone new comes to church, and they're watching whatever is happening happen. You don't have to walk up to them and, Oh, let me tell you about the Lord. How he wants to heal you and set you free, buddy. <laughs> You're a sinner going to hell. <laughs> Get right. Get left. You're going to burn. We have, we have some that would do that. But you don't have to do that. That's, this is the power of intercession. And we're going to connect the dots today. Intercession is, is the, the dots that's connecting here. God is the convictor. Our job is to come into alignment with him. So let's take a look at intercession. John Wesley says, God does everything by prayer and nothing without it. So what is intercession? What does it mean to intercede? Let's give you three components here of intercession. One, you got to know the heart of God towards others. It's really hard to intercede 
if you don't know the heart of God towards others? What is God saying about that person? Obviously, we know the basic. You can start at the basic, that God wants them born again. You can start at the basic. But it goes deeper than that. Number two, it's praying from a place of faith and conviction what God has already spoken. Intercession is praying from a place of faith or assurance or conviction. When you intercede for someone, you're not interceding, you're not praying a half-hearted prayer. You're praying from a place, knowing what God has said. He's faithful to do it. He is able to do exactly what he has spoken regarding that person. And your responsibility before God and that person is to be an ambassador for God. Your job is to connect the dots. I say all the time, my job is to be heaven's secretary. I'm the facilitator. I'm scheduling an appointment between you and God. And that's really an ambassador. That's the intercessor, that you're stepping in and you're, by prayer, interceding, connecting the dots. And then thirdly, you act with vigilance. Intercession is not a half-hearted act. It's a vigorous, it's rigorous activity. It's vocal. It requires everything that's within you. If you think that interceding is coming before the Lord and playing a nice little quiet prayer like this, and thank you, Jesus, amen. Now I lay me down to sleep, hallelujah. <laughs> it's not intercession. Take a look at scripture and see what the scripture says. In John 17, we see Jesus. I would encourage you, go read John 17. I don't know that I have time to go through and read the whole chapter. And I'll just pick out verses from the chapter and share with you. But John 17 is a great chapter on Jesus' intercession for his disciples and intercession for the lost, intercession for the world. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John 10.10 says, I and my Father are one. And then Hebrews 7.25 says, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Talks about Jesus being our heavenly intercession. Now let me ask you this. I posed this question on Wednesday night. Some of you were there, some weren't. So let me ask you again. If Jesus and the Father were one, if in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, all of this relationship is constantly happening. Why did Jesus pray? If he and the Father were one, why did he pray? If he is our heavenly intercessor and he's constantly, why is that? And here's the answer that I suggest and have given and talked about Wednesday night. It's not because Jesus wanted to arrange fellowship with God. He wasn't trying to arrange an opportunity for fellowship with God. But he prayed because he had fellowship with God. Let me give it to you like this. When you get married, are you in fellowship with your spouse? Wow, we need to do a marriage retreat really soon. Hey, what do you know? We're doing one in February. Wow. When you got married, you have a legal contract that you are in fellowship, right? You are in fellowship. And so how horrible would it be for you to be in a marriage with a legal document saying, you can now have fellowship, you can know your spouse, You can have fellowship, but you never act on it. You never have fellowship. You never talk. You never communicate. Right? Why have fellowship and maintain silence? Sounds like we need to have a communication seminar or something. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, right? 
Connect the dots. Communication. So you have fellowship. You've been given a legal contract signed in the blood of Jesus that gives you free access to the Father. Why keep quiet? In John 17, we take a look here. Disciples were not sent as secret agents. The disciples were not sent into the world as secret agents. But they were sent as ambassadors with full, everybody say full. No, that wasn't everybody. Full authority from their king. They were sent with full. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 28. He said, all authority, say all. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. So our commission is based on the authority of God. Now let's talk a little bit more about what an ambassador is. Maybe this term is unfamiliar for you. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, this is what it says. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf that he reconciled us to God. Notice the urgency. Notice the intensity of what Paul is writing here. This isn't a half-hearted statement. He's saying we are ambassadors pleading through us. God is pleading. He's begging. This is intense and earnest. We implore you. We are, we are commanding you. We are exhorting you on Christ's behalf. Now that's boldness. We don't do that any, anymore. You know, we, I was talking to a pastor the other day. Or I, we weren't talking. It was on Facebook. Sorry, let me back up. We were on, I posted that video of the woman who couldn't sing. Maybe you saw that. And, and a pastor friend of mine commented on it about how his, his dad you know, got me thinking about old school pastors and what I, even the pastors I grew up with, and, and how his dad, who was a pastor, would have not allowed, he would have walked up to the woman and said, Okay, thank you, you can sit down now, would have not allowed someone to embarrass themselves or to continue on in that. And it got me thinking. I thought, Wow. You know, we've really gotten away from that. We've so systemized everything and, and have become so rigid and uh, afraid of offending someone in church that we don't act aggressively on Christ's behalf to benefit the people that, are, that God's placed in our life. And so really it's, it, our motives become very selfish and self-centered because we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to hurt anyone by telling them the truth and exhorting them to righteousness. And so we keep our mouth shut. Right? I, you know, I have no problem, and, and we've done it since we've been here. Some of you are aware of this. But I have no problem calling someone in and saying, you will not act like that in our church. You will not gossip in our church. You will not cause problems. Why? It's not because of me. I don't want them to burn in hell. I don't want gangrene, the Bible calls it, spreading. I don't want, I don't want the, the issues that come with those things. And so we become so afraid. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? We become so afraid that we don't want to offend anybody. But what Paul's writing here is bold and aggressive in saying, Look, I'm imploring you on Christ, not his behalf, on Christ's behalf that you pursue righteousness. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? He says, we're ambassadors. We're acting on your behalf and Christ's behalf. An ambassador is someone who goes on an errand, an interpreter, a messenger, those appointed by God to declare his will. Albert Barnes says this, they are to make known and to explain and enforce the terms on which God is willing to be reconciled to men. 
They are not to negotiate on any terms nor to change those which God has proposed, nor to follow their own plans or devices, but they are simply to urge, explain, state, and enforce the terms on which God is willing to be reconciled. Of course, they are to seek the honor of the sovereign who has sent them forth and to seek to do only his will. They go not to promote their own welfare, not to seek honor, dignity, or salary or a fee is what that word means, but they go to transact the business which the Son of God would engage in were he personally on earth again. We are Christ ambassadors. We are engaged in the business of what Christ would do if he was here himself. Webster, a minister of the highest of, of the highest order. I'm not quite sure why that did that. Yeah, employed by one prince or state at the court of another to manage the concerns of his own prince or state in representing the dignity or power of a sovereign. Bloomfield says this, to deliver a message for another without being empowered to do anything more than to explain or enforce the message. They're not going, an ambassador is not going out saying, oh, well, you know, I kind of like the idea of salvation. I kind of like your plan here, Lord, but if we could just change this one little part. And that's really what we're seeing happening. you got people who are, who are changing the message of grace to, oh, you can live how you want to live. God, my, he loves you. You can do what you want to do. Grace will cover it. That's not the message of grace, right? So we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors of the Lord, sticking to the word of God and the principles that he's given to us. Intercession. Let's take a look at intercession. It is a passionate activity with a worldview. Intercession is having God's mind, His view. What does John 4.42 say? We know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of... The Savior of having a world vision, having a global vision, having a vi God's vision for the world. Intercession is a passionate activity. John 17, 11, 13, and 15. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be one as we are. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. In John 15, 7, we get a great picture of intercession. It says this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. In other words, if you abide in me, God says, if you have fellowship with me, and my words abide in you, meaning you're meditating, you're dwelling, you're meditating on the word of the Lord, then you can what? Then you can what? Ask. Ask what? Ask what you desire. Now, how is that possible? I'm going to mess up your religious minds, I hope, today. Because we have, we have these preconceived ideas, right? We have all of these preconceived ideas that, well, Darius here, he's going to, you know, he's going to go pray. But God may or may not really answer him. You know, I'm going to ask the Lord to... Do this, but he may or may, and that's really how we don't say that consciously because we're spiritual. You know, we would never do that. But in our hearts, that's where our level of faith is at, right? Oftentimes, it is. Well, Jesus connects the dots for us here. He says, "If you abide in me, if you have fellowship with me, a lot of times our our." Disconnect is because we are interceding or praying outside of fellowship with the Lord. Our fellowship is to bring our laundry list. 
Our fellowship with the Lord exists only when we need something. Either I'm stepping on your toes, you're falling asleep, or maybe you're not really getting it. When we, when we have fellowship with the Lord, we come on a regular basis to be in His presence. Okay, so we're going to fellowship with Him. If you abide in me and my what? My words abide in you. Disconnect number two. We pray according to our desires. James said, we ask amiss. We pray according to what we want. Well, Lord, help me have a good day today and bless me and bless my parents. And You know, we, play, we pray childish prayers. We pray childish prayers. We're not praying. We're not praying the prayers of the word of the Lord. Scripture is full of prayer material. If you want to know where to start praying, grab your Bible. Pastor, now I was with you when we were talking about interceding because I thought we were going to pray what we wanted to and get whatever we wanted to because God was going to answer our prayers. He was going to give me whatever. I was with you when you said he's going to give me whatever I desire, but now you're telling me I'm going to get in the Word, and I don't like that. We don't like it because we start taking a look at the mirror of the Word then all of a sudden we realize what we need to pray about. We're in fellowship with the Lord. We're meditating on His Word. Now all of a sudden our desires are changing because we're staring at the mirror. And no longer that Rolls Royce or Bentley or whatever else that we want, name it, claim it, is no longer the feature of our prayer life. It's now, oh my God, I look like a filthy, rotten sinner in comparison to the Word of the Lord. I'm looking, I'm staring at Jesus Christ on these pages. I see the holiness of the Lord, and I do not, Lord, help me. Desires change. Prayer life changes. Now all of a sudden, you're praying in alignment with the Word of God for your life and someone else's, and not what makes you feel good, and not what makes you, your boat float. There, whatever floats your boat, you know. <laughs> Glad somebody liked that. We've gotten so far away in systematic Christianity and our traditions that intercession has lost its fervency. I want to talk about the fervency of the Lord. If someone next to you is sleeping, you better elbow them good and say, your fervency is about ready to get restored today. Hebrews 5.7 says this, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Vehement cries, tormenting cries and tears. James 1.6, But let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. James 5.16, 5, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's a passionate plea. Has your prayer life gone to sleep? I pray today that it wakes up. <laughs> 1 Samuel 1.13, now Hannah spoke in her heart, but only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. She was under such duress in her prayer that she would have children that that she was overcome. She could not vocally speak. She was so overcome by the, by the nature of her prayer and the desperation of her need that her mouth moved and no vocal words came out. Have you ever had that happen? 
Have you ever been so overcome with the reality of hell for someone that God has placed in your life that you have been moved to a place of intense prayer that no words could even be heard? That there is an intensity. Let me tell you, there is an intensity of prayer when that happens. There's an intensity, and it's not originating in your brain. This type of prayer doesn't, she wasn't praying a prayer that was coming out of her head. I want to tell you, the most powerful prayers of intercession are not prayers that originate in your mind, that are not prayers that originate in your intellect, but they are prayers that originate in the deepest part of your being, in the innermost part of your desires. Jesus said, ask of what you desire. He doesn't say, ask out of your brain. He's saying, ask out of your desires, your innermost being, your inner man. That's where the prayers of the righteous are born, not out of the intellect. I can, I can know. I can know all day long that somebody's going to hell. And it doesn't motivate me to a place of intercession. But when the Spirit of God begins to stir on the inside of me, this Holy Ghost birth compassion for the lost, it births a prayer of intercession that doesn't come from intellect. Although my intellect is not disengaged, it very much is engaged because the Word of the Lord is, is oftentimes affecting our logic and our reason. And so our, our Our brains are not disconnected, but the origin of the prayer is our inner man. It's our spirit man. And when your spirit man, I hope somebody's getting this today. Man, when your spirit man connects with your reason and your logic, all of a sudden you have a power-packed prayer birthed from the Holy Ghost, empowered by the Holy Ghost, and with the Word of God that's flowing Connecting the dots here. All of a sudden, you're praying in your mind. And I know that when person's not born again. And then God begins to birth a passion of intercession, a prayer, a cry for that person in your heart. And the, the intellect, your reason of the word of God, that it is the Lord's desire that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for my friend Drew, God, that you have not placed him in my life by accident, but God, that you would captivate the heart of man. Lord, that you would begin to revive him, that you would begin to awaken his dead soul, and then you begin to pray the word of God. Lord, it is it is your desire, it's your will, it's your plan that none should perish. And so Lord, I am, sta- I am reminding you of your will concerning Drew, that you said none should perish. And so I am reminding you of your plan of salvation for him. Spirit birth versus intellect. The two have to connect. Romans 8, 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. What's our weakness? You know, <laughs> Paul addressed this. That, that our, Jesus said, out of your desire, you'll ask, right? So there's our spirit man, our inner man. And then Paul addresses the issue with our brain. We don't know. You don't know what you don't know. He says, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. So the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There's sometimes that your intellectual brain is misfiring. You're, act, you're asking a, a, a spirit birth prayer, but your brain is completely on shutdown. Your intellect isn't connected. You don't even know what to pray. Have you ever been there? There's times of intercession where we come and our, and our brain rashly just doesn't know. Heather talked about this in the first session. She, she didn't want to quote scripture. 
Sometimes we don't want to quote scripture. We don't want to stand on the word. We don't want to intercede. It might be, God may be birthing a prayer in you for somebody you don't like. And so your brain like, I don't want to pray for that person. Pray for your enemies. No. <laughs> I don't want to do that. And so we have to depend on the Holy Spirit at those times to intercede through us with groanings. And, you know, everybody gets in great debates over is this tongues or is this actual groanings. I don't care what it sounds like. The Holy Ghost is going to make it happen. It might be groanings. It might be tongues. It might be a mixture of two. You might roll on the floor, laugh, cry, whatever it looks like. It doesn't really matter. But the Holy Spirit is going to intercede through you for that person. You might find yourself crying like a baby, weeping for that person's soul. You might feel the heartbeat of God for somebody. I've had, I've had times and other folks that I've watched that have been overcome, literally physically overcome, as they have, as they have wept and wept for the lost. I've watched children who are touched by the Lord begin to weep for the lost souls. I'm talking children. Children don't know, you know, we think they don't know the difference. But God begins to move on them and they begin to weep and cry out for the lost. One of the, one of the most powerful things that we can do as believers at an altar call, in a, in a service, let me just pause and go down this little trail here for a second, is not disengage. If you're in a service, I don't care if it's here or wherever, if you're in a service... And there's a salvation altar call or any kind of altar call for that matter being given. And you know that it doesn't necessarily specifically have a bullseye on you. Then intercede for those that are there. I guarantee you there's somebody there that needs to get their life right. I guarantee there's someone there that needs a touch from the Lord. Intercede. And you know, it might get a little messy. That's okay. People need to see. I, I, let me ask you this. When's the last time? When's the last time that you saw someone intercede on your behalf and touch heaven? With tears and groanings and intercede on You've seen it. You've seen them. You've watched it with your eyes, someone intercede on your behalf. How many of you have ever had someone do that for you? That you know of? It's powerful. So be someone else's intercessor. I hope, hope this is connecting the dots for you. Ezra 9.5, talking about intercession being a robust business. Ezra 9.5, at evening sacrifice, I arose from my fasting and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. <laughs> Pretty intense. I don't know that I've ever torn my clothes praying. I'm not so sure. The Lord would really have to be, you know, <laughs> doing something there. Y'all can laugh. It's okay. I'm not going to be tearing clothes in church. I'm just trying to get you to laugh. Ezra 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 1. Now, while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing and weeping and bowing before the house of God, Psalms 35, 13 through 14. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. I paced about as though he were my friend or brother, and I bound down heavily as one who mourns for his mother. Now, this is just the truth. Yelling in a microphone, you can yell and scream and throw a tantrum all day long. 
and you're not going to scare the ner most nervous of demons. Just like fasting, if your hunger doesn't go deeper and your hunger is for the word of God and not for food, it ain't going to accomplish squat. But all of a sudden, when God gets hold of your heart and there's a, there's a passion and a drive and a hunger for God and a desperation for God to move, all of a sudden, the yelling, the, the vocalization that comes out of you is not... The vocalization is not to drive God. It's God driving you. Does that make sense? Sometimes when you know you look at things and you see people getting intense and 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 this intercession should be. It is an intense business. And you begin to cry out to the Lord. You begin to cry out to and you begin to take authority and you begin to speak in authority. Sometimes you can look at people and say, Man, they're they're getting loud. They're getting with it. Woo! We're getting with it. Well, we can get with it. I mean, how many times have you heard me say, if it was all about falling down, we just all come line up and count to three and all fall down and go home. <laughs> it's not just about the outward expression, but, but those outward expressions, if it's God, He's driving that. He's the one that's, that's burdening that person's heart and compelling them to such intensity, place of prayer and intensity of intercession. In and of ourselves, we don't want to take authority. We run from taking authority. Who wants to tell God what he's going to do? But when you begin to operate in a place of humility with intercession, you understand that you're coming boldly before the throne of grace. Remember, Hebrews, that this is not, you're not making a request outside of the will of God. You have full assurance of what you're saying is originated from him. And thus you're reminding him, you're bringing his word before him. You can come with boldness. And so all of a sudden you're no longer operating in, in your own strength or under your own authority, but you're Remember, Jesus said, all authority. We've talked about that earlier, the authority of the Lord. You're now operating in his authority. You're coming bold. You can say, God, you said, Drew's getting born again. <laughs> you said, you said, me and my household. Well, they're just heathens. Not for long. You've got to begin to view through the eyes of faith. We begin to pray from assurance. John 17, 11. What did Jesus say? Keep through your name those who you've given me. Who is this covenant with as you pray? Who's the covenant? Who's the covenant signed by? Whose name? You know, when you make an agreement with someone, it's your name and their name. Whose covenant? Whose name is on the covenant that you made? Who? Who? Whose name's on the covenant that you made with God? Ain't you. We all know that if you try to keep a covenant with the Lord, it ain't working too well. He's made, an, he's made a covenant with you in his own name. He's always faithful. If his covenant for you, for your salvation, for your family, for your household, for your life, if his covenant is signed by his name only, guess whose responsibility it is to upkeep that covenant? Why do we get so worried about whether or not he's going to do it? Now, Alicia can tell us all about 
contracts. I mean, this is what she does professionally. How many times do people break those contracts? All the time. And how many times they end up in court over those contracts and the broken breaches and all those wonderful things? All the time. <laughs> God's not so. He's never ended up in court over a broken promise. He keeps them 100% of the time. So we can pray from a place of assurance. Matthew 6, 8 says, Therefore do not be like them, the heathen, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.